Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Over the past two weeks, we've been in a series uh, called Unforgivable. Uh, There's a question mark at the end of that, Uh, Unforgivable. And uh, it's really been a, a series about the nature of forgiveness. And I think it's been, I think it's really struck a chord. I've gotten a lot more feedback uh, over the last two weeks uh, about how God is stirring in the hearts of the people in our community uh, related to forgiveness. Uh, And we're going to continue, Daniel will continue this theme next week, but um, I want to begin today by saying saying this, Uh, in order to live in community, uh, you must become an expert at forgiveness. In order to live in community, you must become an expert at forgiveness. Uh, If you hold uh, nothing but unforgiveness in your heart, uh, you will likely live with a a string of broken relationships in your wake as you sort of write people off whenever they wrong you. Uh, That inherent to the human condition uh, and, and doing this thing called life together, we need forgiveness. Uh, That is to say that forgiveness is essential to the human experience. Uh, Desmond Tutu once said, there is no future without forgiveness. There is no future without forgiveness. Uh, And he is right. Uh, But the truth is also also this. um, In order to be part of a church community, uh, you must become an expert at the practice of forgiveness. Uh, perhaps you have found that to be true. In, in fact, I would say this, that any kind of meaningful church life uh, also means that at some point you will be hurt, you will be disappointed, or you will disagree. Uh, some things will happen uh, that will require of you forgiveness on some level. And so forgiveness is essential to the human condition, uh, but perhaps it's even more central to uh, the Christian condition, <laughs> the condition of living in Christian community. And so we've been talking about it over the last couple of weeks. We, we began by seeking to understand uh, the nature of forgiveness, and we learned that forgiveness is refusing to respond to violence or hurt or pain by further inflicting violence, hurt, or pain. And in so doing, it ends the cycle of revenge. And so forgiveness is the thing that ends, finally ends the cycle of violence and revenge in our lives and in our culture. And instead of responding then with violence and revenge, God uh, responds to us with love and forgiveness on the cross Uh, for the the ultimate sign uh, and demonstration of forgiveness is in fact the cross of Christ. And in so doing, what Jesus does is he changes the world and he shows us a better way. Uh, that as he inflicted uh, unspeakable injustice and unspeakable violence against his Uh, self and against his body, he responded not with further violence or revenge or hate, but rather responded with love and forgiveness, and the world has never been the same. And so we have received radical forgiveness in Christ. What we learned then last week is we discovered that we, as a response, are invited to offer radical forgiveness uh, to others. That Jesus consistently pushes the boundaries of forgiveness beyond human decency and calls us to forgive those who have hurt us most deeply. And this invitation to live a life of forgiveness is not an invitation to live in weakness, but rather it is an invitation 
to live in strength because it is forgiveness that in fact overcomes evil and rewrites the narrative of evil. And so we've spent a couple of weeks talking theologically about forgiveness, talking philosophically about forgiveness. Today I wanna talk about practical forgiveness uh, because I'd be willing to bet that as a result of our conversations over the last couple of weeks, you have questions. Perhaps the most burning questions are, are questions like, how do you forgive someone? How does this function? I, I'm, I'm in agreement with it theologically or philosophically, but how in the face of, of hurt and pain against us, how do we then just go about the process of forgiveness? Another, another way to frame that question is to ask the question of what do I do when I'm hurt? What do I do when I'm hurt? And I want to try to address those questions this, this week and this morning. Uh, but first I wanna make an observation. And the observation is this. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. Uh, last week, in order to demonstrate the power of forgiveness, I told you the story about the 2006 shooting in an Amish schoolhouse in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. And the subsequent response of forgiveness from that community toward the family of the shooter. Uh, this story demonstrated for us uh, and for the whole world at the time the power, the absolute power of forgiveness and the power that forgiveness has to rewrite the narrative of evil. Well, a news organization called Penn Live News did a follow-up story on the 10-year anniversary of that shooting in 2016. And, and the Amish, as a normal practice, uh, do not conduct interviews with the media and so the very few that did asked to, be remain, to remain anonymous, so I don't have any names or quotes, but, uh, I, well, I don't have any names, but I do have quotes. And the following quotes are news reports from that story. And what, what it makes clear is that the Amish community, that, that for the Amish community, the forgiveness wasn't as easy as proclaiming forgiveness in the moments after an event like this. One of the fathers of, uh, of, of one of the girls who was killed says this. The message of forgiveness overwhelmed the community and the world and it helped to start the process of healing. The next step was forgiving, just as the Lord's Prayer teaches. And then doing that every day continuously. You see, this exercise of constant forgiveness and choosing to forgive made the healing process more bearable. <laughs> Another father of a young girl who was killed says, if I decide that that person is so evil that I can't forgive the man, then bitterness is the only thing that will continue. But forgiveness takes time. In fact, this one father took issue with uh, some of the news coverage after the shooting that followed this narrative of instantaneous forgiveness. But rather what he said is by choosing to forgive, the Amish chose not to become bitter and started to forgive and that process took years and years. <laughs> and so this father took issue with the narrative that forgiveness can come in a moment. And on the 10-year anniversary, he said, forgiveness takes years and years and years. One anonymous Amish couple said this, we want to forgive him, 
But we have uh, to not just do it one time. We have to do it again and again. In other words, I think it's really critical for us in a conversation about forgiveness to recognize that forgiveness is not just a one-time thing. If it's a minor offense, a petty thing, then it probably could be, I forgive you, no big deal, let's move on. But depending on the size of the offense or, or the pain from the hurt, forgiveness could go on and on and be a process of healing and how much we, we rob ourselves of the healing if we say, if we come to believe in our minds and in our hearts that forgiveness is just a, a one-time thing. Or how much pressure we might mount on being able to offer forgiveness the first time if we think that it's just one time and then done. In other words, if we think it's just a one-time thing, we're probably a little less likely to offer it, and then we feel a lot more guilty uh, than when we feel the pain of that hurt moving forward. And what this shows us is that, yes, we can be trained as disciples of Christ to have such a countenance that in the face of hurt, our immediate response is with forgiveness. That's what the Amish community taught us in 2006. That forgiveness is an act of the volition that is the evidence of the heart <laughs> that has been discipled in the ways of Jesus. But then it also teaches us that forgiveness needs to keep going. It's not just a one-time thing. In fact, did you hear the language here? It says, the first one, we had to forgive every day continuously. I would imagine that maybe, maybe it is true that you've been touched in some way by some of these shootings that have happened in our culture. Uh, a lot of us have not, but can you imagine the, the, the pain and how that would be on the forefront of your mind for so long? And he said we had to forgive every day continuously. The process took years and years. We had to do it again and again. You hear this kind of language coming out at the 10-year anniversary. This isn't just a one-time thing. And certainly for victims of traumatic events like this, it is at the forefront of their minds for a long, long time. But have you ever thought that something was all done with, all healed up, all offenses forgiven, we've moved on, it's no big deal, and then all of a sudden the pain comes rushing right back? Have you ever been there? The brain is an amazing thing. You see, what the brain does is it stores all kinds of information that, that we don't even know how to pull up on purpose. But that doesn't mean it's not there just because we can't pull it up. And so because of all the information is in there, sometimes it takes only a sound or a smell or a word or a combination of all of those things or driving in a particular route and, all of the, and it triggers a trauma and a pain from the past and what you thought was done and dealt with will come back in an instant and the pain is just as fresh as the day it happened. And when that happens... You have an option. Do I want to go down the road of bitterness and revenge? Or do I want to walk in the ways of forgiveness? I would encourage you, church, people of God, choose forgiveness because there is no future without it. Now, for those of you who are really listening today, you've recognized, but I didn't answer the question, did I? <laughs> Nor have I opened the scriptures. <laughs> How does forgiveness work? What am I supposed to do when I am hurt? This morning, I want to offer you three things. 
that I think will help. And it's out of the book of Romans chapter 12. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. I believe it will also be up on the screens for you to follow along as I read. Romans chapter 12 is, is a helpful, helpful passage of Scripture. I want to begin reading with verse 17 and read through the end of the chapter, verse 21. And it says this. It says, Do not repay evil for evil. And be careful what to, do, to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Three things that come out of this passage. I want to be clear that I don't believe these are steps. Uh, I, don't, I don't like steps. If you've ever had to grieve the loss of someone you love, you know that the steps of grief are more like a ball of grief. <laughs> they go out of order. <laughs> you know, anytime that we just start talking about clean steps, we're not talking about life anymore because life is pretty messy, right? Uh, but, I, but there are three principles that I think are really key and important to think about what to do when I'm hurt that come out of this passage. And the first one is this, out of Romans chapter 12, verse 17, the very first line, do not repay evil with evil. The principle is this, when you are hurt, you have to surrender your right to get even. When you are hurt, you have to surrender your right to get even. You know, if, if we as the people of God were following conventional wisdom, that when we are hurt or wronged, we would say we have every right to get even. Because after all, it is in getting even that you are carrying out justice. You have been wronged, justice needs to be served. And so go ahead and get your revenge. Go ahead and tell them off, and then tell others how you told them off. <laughs> Go ahead and get your revenge because justice needs to be done. And oftentimes when we start framing the conversation of hurt and we start framing uh, everything in terms of justice, we often believe that God is on our side and if God is on my side, then I can do whatever I want to the other side because I'm carrying out God's will. I'm carrying out what God would have. I'm, I'm the vehicle of God's justice in this situation. But here's the thing. The problem is that way too often, what we think is justice is really just getting our own way. And I want you to think about that. That too often, and I'm not saying always, never say never and never say always. <laughs> but too often, what we understand to be justice in reality is just getting our own way. And retribution, hear me now, retribution is not the same as justice. Is not the same as justice. We're gonna unpack that a little bit. But first, let me say, but we need to understand this. Forgiveness will never come until you have surrendered your right to get your way and to get even. 
you know, as the people of God, we are called to walk in the way of Christ, and the way of Christ is non-retaliation. Um, it, it's interesting, if you, if you ask someone who, doesn't, who is not a person of faith, uh, what is the message of Jesus all about? They will likely say it is about peace and nonviolence. If you ask a person of faith what the, the message of Jesus is all about, they will tell you all about personal salvation and getting to heaven when you die. <laughs> uh, what, what I mean to say by that is largely, if you've been walking in faith a little while, you may have lost sight of Christ's call to non-retaliation and non-violence. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace for a reason. And so as the people of God, we are called to walk in the ways of Christ, and the way of Christ is non-retaliation, and this is absolutely central to the message of Christ. We have got to get this right, because if we get it wrong, then the, uh, then the consequences are literally hell to pay. Let me tell you what I mean. If our theology says that in the end, God is going to bring about his victory by way of more wars and more famine and more disaster and more destruction, but in the end, he will in fact be the winner, then we run the very real risk of thinking that we can do the same thing as we assume that we are operating under the blessing of God. Do you, does that make sense? Let me say it a little more explicitly. Too often, our revenge is cloaked under believing that we are carrying out our vengeance in the name of God. And so when we are hurt, we assume that God is on our side and we seek revenge. But as we've learned throughout this series, I hope is that this doesn't stop the violence, it only escalates it. And where you end up is in a living hell of violence and revenge. And the road to New Jerusalem isn't paved with war, it is paved with forgiveness. Thought for sure I would get an amen there. <laughs> Once you've surrendered, but here's the power in this. Here's the power. Once you have surrendered your right to get even, you can give the offender and the offense to God. But as long as you are thinking, I can get even, as long as you are thinking, I need to carry out justice, I need to be the one to carry out the justice. And God, would you bless my efforts to carry out justice? <laughs> when justice is really just getting my own way, then we cannot move truly into forgiveness. Forgiveness has to come first once we surrender our right to get even. Because once we have done that, we are then freed up to give the offender and the offense over to God. And so forgiving someone is giving the pain and the offender to God through prayer. I know that sounds like what a pastor is supposed to say. <laughs> right, like my pastor taught about forgiveness and here's what he said, just pray about it. <laughs> right, so let me give you a little more handles, a little more to hold on to. Uh, this, by the way, comes out of um, some of my own experiences and, and the wise counsel of others as I was walking through some stuff. Uh, and so the, you can't read about this in a book. I mean, you may, maybe you can. If, if, if you can, I don't, I don't know about it because I didn't take it from there. This is just a lot from listening to wise counsel in my own life and some of my own experience of how, trying to figure out how does forgiveness actually work. Here's what I've learned. Number one, name the pain. 
in prayer to God, name the pain. Call out the injustice, right? There is an injustice that has been done. And it has probably been done against you. You are probably right about that. So call it out. Give it a name. Call it what it is. The first part of healing is recognizing and calling out the pain. And so whether it's betrayal or abuse or lied to or lied about, or how about this one? A relationship has fallen apart, and I'm not totally sure why, but it completely sucks, and I'm in all kinds of pain, right? That's what you need. You need that kind of honesty to God. I never wanted to be a Bible-pounding preacher, and there I was, pounding the Bible. So I'm, I'm gonna back up, okay? <laughs> okay? So in other words, name the pain as best as you can, right? Because here's the thing. In the middle of the pain, you can't see clearly. You don't know exactly what's going on. You don't have the bird's eye view to see all the moving parts and what's happening. All you know is what you are experiencing and what you are feeling. Name that and name it explicitly to God. And then say, once you've named the pain, then say this, I forgive and call out the name of your offender. I forgive, call out their name. Four, and then call out the offense that you've just described. God, I have been lied to. I forgive this person for lying to me. I forgive the offender for Name the offense. And then follow up with something like this. They did harm to me. But I will not respond with hate. I will not respond with evil. And I will not respond with vengeance. And use words that make sense for you. Use phrases that make sense to you. But something like this. I forgive that person, that group of people, that whatever, for name the offense and then talk about and tell God how you're gonna do your best in the power of his Holy Spirit to walk in the ways of Christ. I will not respond with evil. I will not respond with hate. I will not show vengeance. Okay, I will not do this. Because guess what? These are words of release. These are words of letting go. These are words that have an open hand. I forgive them for this offense that I have named as best I can and as much as I understand. And I will not, through the power of your Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit kind of power in my life, respond to this evil with equal evil. I won't do it. And then guess what? And then here, most of us can do this. Here's what I found to be the hardest part. Then pray for your offender. It got real right then, yeah? <laughs> I can release them all I want, but, but part of it is, is, is praying for them, and I'm gonna tell you a little bit, bit why. But, and, and then here's the thing. Remember, forgiveness is not a one-time thing, right? So when the pain is fresh, this is probably a daily ritual. And you may feel that the pain is multifaceted. So some days you will feel betrayed. Other days it's the lied to. Other days it's the this or that. And it's like, it's kind of like all, you have this multifaceted thing going on. Whatever you're feeling that particular day in your heart, name that pain. 
Today I am feeling betrayed. Today I am feeling this. Name it before God. Forgive them for that. And then, and then say, I will not respond with evil. And then pray for them, even if it's one sentence. <laughs> okay? And that's all right. That, as best as I know how, is how forgiveness works. With one more thing. Then you gotta ask God to help you. <laughs> ask God to help you. And then rinse and repeat. <laughs> Just like, get to the last one, go back to the front. Do it again, day after day, day after day. Until a little while you'll feel like, hey, it's been, it's been a couple days till I've felt the pain real fresh. It's been a month, it's been on and on. Forgiveness is not weakness. Forgiveness is incredibly powerful because it ends the cycle of revenge. It puts evil to rest. It puts hates to rest. You have to surrender your rights to get even. The second thing coming out of Romans chapter 12, verse 20 says, which says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And everybody said, amen. Right, like an angry amen. Give me some burning coals and put it on the head of my enemy. We're gonna talk about that. But here's the second thing. Rediscover the humanity of your offender. Rediscover the humanity of the, your offender. When you are wronged by someone, here's a typical response. A really typical response is to create a caricature of that person. And then define them wholly by the offense. You know what I'm talking about? You take this person and you had this relationship and, and your relationship was multifaceted. You, had all, you knew them in all sorts of different ways and environments and, and all of this kind of stuff. The pain happens, the hurt happens, the offense happens, and a typical response is we then create a caricature of that person that defines them wholly by that offense. When you do that, you, you dehumanize them in your mind and in your heart. When you do that, that person becomes less human. Does it make sense? The process of caricature is dehumanizing. And here's the deal. Once you've dehumanized them, it's really easy to justify violence against them or wish harm against them or wish worst for them. Like, maybe you're not a person who would go so far as to carry out violence, whether that's physical violence or other kinds of violence. Maybe you wouldn't go that so far, but you might wish violence upon them. You might wish harm upon them. And in doing so, they have ceased to be human and are just a caricature of betrayal or lies or insult or shame or whatever it is. And so into that, Paul gives this instruction to the Roman church who's got some conflict going on. And he says, if you're on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, give them something to eat. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Paul's instructions to feed and give drink to your enemy and to show kindness to them is this, is a way of rehumanizing your offender. And here's what it does. It admits that they aren't always in a position to hurt you but sometimes find themselves in a position of needing help and needing to be served. And this is absolutely tremendously powerful, right? 
Because when you were hurt, that person was in a position to hurt you. You create a caricature, you dehumanize them, and Paul says, show kindness to them in some way. And in showing kindness to them, it rehumanizes them and at least helps you to realize that they aren't always in this sort of over position of being able to hurt, but are sometimes find themselves in a position of needing to be served. Does this make sense? I'm gonna take the silence as a quiet amen. Now here's the deal, you may literally have the opportunity to feed or to give drink to your offender, but let's think about this principle and how this might play out in real life in case you don't ever have an opportunity to your offender is actually hungry or thirsty. Let's say that someone, let's say that there is someone who, uh, who hurt you by lying about you, they lie, the lie that they uh, said about you has caused great damage to you, and to your character, to your reputation. It has hurt you deeply. And in this situation, there was little if nothing that you could do about it, for they held all the cards. And you don't think, about their, you don't think their motive was malicious, but nevertheless, the relationship is broken and you are left hurting. In response to the hurt, you dehumanize them, you create a character of them uh, as backstabbers, and so you, they are the ones that when the relationship is tested, they're just gonna stab you in the back, that's who they are, all that whole bit. And then you, you've forgiven them the best that you know how, but you still live every day with the pain of what was lost because of the lies. And then you hear that a loved one of theirs has passed away suddenly and tragically. Now, instead of holding all the cards in a situation that they can bend to their own advantage, they are humans who are hurting and grieving. One of the best things that you can do to continue walking in the way of healing and the journey of forgiveness in that moment is to reach out to them, show kindness in the midst of your pain and in the midst of their pain even if it's just a card that you write and send in the mail. Because <laughs> you can't stand the thought of having a conversation. But some, some demonstration of kindness from you to the person who has hurt you rehumanizes them. Are you with me? And then we recognize that this is really, really powerful, but really, really difficult stuff. That the message of Christ is like genius and incredibly difficult at the same time, right? And here's what I want to be clear about, that the whole process rehumanizes your offender and helps you to drop the caricature, but it doesn't mean that you have to be best friends. Nor does it even mean that the relationship is restored. It simply means that you have come to know the common humanity of your offender. Okay? So sometimes we misunderstand forgiveness and we think that we've got to be like BFFs with our offender, <laughs> you know? And we gotta be like sending bitmojis back and forth, you know? And like Instagramming together and like hashtag this and that. That's not it, right? So, so forgiveness does not necessarily mean that you have to be best friends with your offender, nor does it mean that the relationship is even restored. The goal in this is to rediscover, and that's, remember the second principle, rediscover the humanity of the one who has hurt you. That's really important. 
And then Paul says, showing kindness to your offender rehumanizes them, but it also heaps burning coals on their head. To which you're like, that doesn't really seem like it fits. Like I've been reading kind of around here, Paul, what you're saying, and then all of a sudden, it just feels like that, that it's, Paul is saying, show kindness because of the malice in your heart. Because in the end, you really just want their heads to burn, right? Uh, this is not it at all. Uh, what, but rather, what Paul is, is pointing to is he's actually referring to an old Egyptian practice uh, of holding burning coals on your head as a sign of penitence. Aren't we glad that humanity has moved on, <laughs> right? So Ash Wednesday, option number one, ashes on your forehead with olive oil. Option number two, burning coals on your head as a sign of penitence. Which do you choose, right? Like, so we're kind of glad that we're moving along. But there's, there's an old Egyptian thing that, that in burning coals on, on or near the head was a sign of penitence and repentance. And so what part of Paul's point is, is actually by demonstrating kindness in the face of pain and offense, there is at least a possibility that it will be kind of a mo an aha moment for your offender. <gasps> oh man, I really hurt them. And they would repent and then, we'd have, then we have room for reconciliation, right? And, and so it's just, the, the point is showing kindness could reveal their sin and help move them toward uh, repentance. And so that's, that's the whole burning coal on their head thing. It's not show kindness because actually you're just angry and want their head to burn. Uh, but, but your kindness, oh, at least opens up the possibility to, to reveal the hurt that would draw them or move them toward uh, repentance. And then the third principle is this. Recognize, uh, recognize that, for, that, that, the, that for the goal, sorry, recognize the goal of forgiveness is reconciliation, but they aren't the same thing. Recognize that the goal of forgiveness is reconciliation, but they aren't the same thing. I love how, how Paul is just like living in the real world and like the nuts and bolts of life. In verse 18, he says, if it is possible... So he's already like laying out a condition, if it's possible. And then he says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Which is like Paul implicitly saying, sometimes it's not possible to live at peace with everybody. Uh, but at least do all that you can and know how to do to do that. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, what Paul is doing is he's recognizing that relationships are complex and living at peace requires cooperation from both parties. Both parties or all parties, right? All parties. And since we have free will, that may not always be possible. It may not always be possible that both parties or all parties will cooperate and seek reconciliation. So another way of understanding this is that forgiveness is a one-way street Reconciliation is a two-way street. Forgiveness is a one-way street. Reconciliation is a two-way street. In other words, reconciliation isn't possible without forgiveness, but forgiveness is possible without reconciliation. There's two things that need to happen for reconciliation to occur. Two things. Both, both parties must recognize their part in the break, uh, uh, must, must repent for their part in the break of the relationship and then offer forgiveness. 
In other words, there must be re- for reconciliation to happen, there must be repentance and forgiveness that's going in both directions. This is what I tell couples who come into my office and they're struggling in their marriage. I say there's no such thing as your problem, it's our problem. Let's recognize what, what each of us are playing in part, of, part in this. Now, some of them, sometimes it's like one part is kind of have a, you kind of have a gigantic part in this and you, your kind of part is pretty minuscule, but let's at least recognize those, right? Let's at least recognize that in relationship, there's always two things. We're trying to teach our daughter this, you know, she like has, has a grade school stuff going on. This is what this, well, like, she's like, relationships are so hard. I'm like, welcome to life. <laughs> you know, like, yay, you're here, you made it, you, you growed up. <laughs> and so now let's learn about this stuff because guess what? When you, when you start turning nine and 10, the world isn't perfect all the time anymore. Um, some kids find that out a lot sooner, but reconciliation, repentance and forgiveness have to happen. And so when a brother or sister in Christ hurts you, the temptation is to think, they are Christian, they should never have done that, or they should have never said that, or they should have never acted that way, et cetera, et cetera, and you are probably right. They shouldn't have done that, but you shouldn't have either. Oh. Because it's easy to assume that they are always the problem, but the key to reconciliation is being open to the refinement of the Spirit of God who is at work in you and be willing to look in the mirror and admit that I haven't been perfect either. And reconciliation won't happen without that. I wanna say that again. It's easy to assume that they are always the problem, but the key to reconciliation is being open to the refinement of the Spirit of God who is at work in me and being willing to look in the mirror and say, I haven't been perfect either. And as soon as we can approach a broken relationship with that level of humility, then we have the fertile ground for reconciliation. Amen? And so when reconciliation, though, isn't possible, we are still called to leave We are still called to non-retaliation and Paul's words to leave room for God's wrath. And again, it just feels like we're giving uh, them to God so that God can show them the vengeance that they deserve, which is really the same as just asking God to do your bidding, right? So this is not at all what Paul is talking about. God is not saying that, that God can be manipulated in order to do your own bidding. What Paul is talking about is is. God's wrath is a shorthand way of talking about God's judgment. And God's judgment is carrying out God's perfect justice. And God's judgment and justice is not retributive, it's always restorative. This is why when we think that, oh, they have been unjust to me, and so I need to write that by sort of getting back at them, we are not participating in God's justice. Because God's just, that's retributive. God's justice is always restorative. And so God's justice looks a lot more like the, 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 the building back of a relationship through reconciliation, not carrying out vengeance from one side to the other. Are you with me? God's justice is restorative, not retributive. And so again, God's wrath, the word wrath is a shorthand way of talking about God's judgment and what we've realized from the scope of all of scripture, we don't have time to talk about it right now, is that God's judgment is the carrying out of God's perfect restorative justice. And so Paul's encouragement then to leave room for God's wrath is a way of urging us to entrust justice to God and allow him to right the wrongs that have been inflicted. 
So again, the, the language is one of an open hand, it's one of release, it's one of surrender, it's one of, of giving up over to God. Uh, this is, in other words, it's a recognition that only the wisdom of God knows what to do in this situation, right? And sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need to just be able to say, only the wisdom of God can bring about rights in this situation. I'm too involved, I'm too much in the middle of it, my, my perspective is too swayed. Only God in his wisdom can do this. Here's a quote from one of the commentaries I read this week. Humans are urged to entrust justice to God to allow him to right the wrongs that have been inflicted unjustly. I think that's really, really helpful. Now, I said this last week, I wanna reiterate this. Most of what I've talked about, the vast majority of what I've talked about today is perfectly applicable when there's a break in relationship, when there are two people uh, or parties of people or groups that have come into conflict over something. What we have not talked about is times of abuse. When someone is in a position of power and exploits, uh, takes advantage of someone who is under them. In this case, so all of these principles that we've talked about are applicable over here and not necessarily applicable to times of abuse. When one person was powerless in the situation and innocent, forgiveness is possible, but there is no need to try to restore a relationship with an abuser. I want you to hear that. If you are here today and you have been the victim of abuse, God's call in your life is not to try to walk in relationship with your abuser. We can take care of that at the end of all things, okay? But forgiveness is possible. You can release that person through forgiveness. And as, and as I said last week, I wanna say it again, everyone should be restored through forgiveness. Not everyone should be returned to power. Not everyone should be returned to power. That is to say that if, if someone is, because of a position or office of power and authority, abusing other folks, that person should not be returned to that office. Okay? I hope that makes sense. I wanted to just mention that, but I, I don't want that to cloud all that I've said before. I feel like there's some really rich stuff coming out of Romans. And so in closing, Romans 12 helps us to think about this. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. And what do we do when we're hurt? We surrender your right to get even, rediscover the humanity of your offender, and recognize that the goal of forgiveness is always reconciliation but they're not the same thing. The goal of forgiveness is reconciliation, but they aren't the same thing. In thinking about what to do in response, I wanted to um, have us pray together a prayer for strength to forgive others. And so it'll be up on the screen. And I would invite you to pray this in response together, and then I'll lead us to the, to the Lord's table for communion. And then um, I have uh, preached way too long, so we're gonna forego with prayers of the people and, and we'll um, just do our final song after, after communion. But um, let's pray this prayer called the strength, asking God for strength to forgive.
Let's pray it together. All loving God, you became vulnerable by enduring the pain of the cross and offered forgiveness. Grant me the strength to forgive others, to excuse their transgressions against me. Oop. To end the cycle of violence and revenge, to demonstrate love in the face of pain, obliterate any persistent feelings of malice, let each trespass end as a closing chapter. Forgive my sins as I aspire to forgive others, most forgiving Lord. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, would you take the words that have been spoken today, the truths that have been shared out of this powerful passage in Romans, and would you allow them to really take root in our hearts? And God, for anyone here today, perhaps most of us, that need to walk in the ways of forgiveness, maybe this day, maybe, maybe ahead. Maybe we're seeking to walk in the ways of forgiveness from a past hurt or hurts. God, would you help us? Would you help us to walk in the ways of Christ through the power of your spirit? so that we as a people of God called the church, and not just Emmaus Road Church, but the church, the church universal, all who call on your name by faith, God, may we be people who through forgiveness change the world, who through love and forgiveness rewrite the narrative of hate and evil in our lives and in our culture and our world. God, help us. When the pain is so personal and so fresh. May we lean into you for all the strength that we need to get through. God, we love you. Give us strength today. Revitalize our hearts and our minds as we gather around your table today. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.